You are listening to the Listen Curiosity podcast. Could first start by introducing yourself, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, John Hastie, the uh, CEO of the MD Pathfinders, and uh, I'm going to do show muscular dystrophy. A lot of questions related to muscular dystrophy, if that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. So first sort of question I want to ask you is what? What's your sort of first recollection of being told that you um, had muscular dystrophy? Yeah, that's a good question. I, don't, I can't really pinpoint a specific time. Um, I think I just, it kind of feels like I always knew. Um, but there probably must have been a time at which I had a conversation with my parents. I just don't really remember it. But I think it just kind of gradually used to... Uh, yeah, so um, I sort of had a similar thing myself. I don't remember specifically uh, being told, but um, yeah, I sort of worked it out quite young when I was a kid as well. You sort of just realise and you sort of compare yourself to like, other kids and you just, uh, you know, you just sort of uh, realise that quite quickly. And sort of going on for that, what's what if you don't mind asking, what age did you uh, yeah. end up being in a, uh, in a wheelchair, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so... It was a gradual process. Um, I know I started using a uh, a manual wheelchair when I was about ten, and then uh, just kind of gradually started using it more and more. And uh, I got uh, an electric wheelchair when I went to secondary school because uh, the school was quite big, and there were lots of kids, and kind of to their break time, it would always be really busy, everyone pushing around. So, like, it was decided that I needed a, an electric so I could get around myself independently. Got that when I was 11. Um, but yeah, I was still kind of like using it to kind of get around the school, but then in the classroom, kind of be walking. So I was still walking a little bit. Um, so I think it was kind of like early teenage years, really, when I stopped walking. Um, but I think I was still using a standing frame until I was about 15, 16. But yeah, not really walking at that point. Yeah, but mine was... Um... Uh, pretty similar as well. It's sort of about sort of twelve when I went in a chair, but I sort of fell over in that sort of sort of fell over and twisted my ankle badly. And that by the time it healed, I sort of, I sort of got weak weak that I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And of course, people can't you know can't stop you because all the time you can walk it, it's a good thing because you probably remember I do when I was younger. Uh, physical therapists were, you know, they, they encourage you to walk as long as you can. But of course, yeah. there's always a time when it, you know, just gets gets there. And it's sort of quite a lot of my friends, have said the same. They've either had a fat bad fall, and um, one of my friends even breaks hip, which uh, which wasn't nice. But yeah, yeah, I, I broke my leg when I was when I was ten years old actually. But, uh, they they operated on it, so they put a plate in it so that I could walk again. Um, four days after I to walk and stand particularly when you're growing because it affects like how your back develops um, I think after you after you grow it's kind of less important but I think uh, it's weighing up those risks and benefits isn't it really because if you're if you're likely to kind of fall over and break something then it's probably you know, you don't want to just carry on walking if you're putting yourself at real risk. Exactly, yeah. Sort of doing it as long as you can, but 
you know, not doing it that you actually end up really hurting yourself. Exactly. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, because it's quite a hard uh, balance to strike because, as we know, it's both. It as we both know, it's a progressive uh, condition, and it's just like you, you know, want to do things as long as you can, but ultimately there's a time when you know that choice uh, in a not nice way gets taken away. But. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's something you've got to deal with, like, throughout your whole life with this condition. You know, you've got to keep adapting to, like, if you lose the ability to do something, you've got to kind of find a new way of doing that or, like, adapting. So I think it's kind of, it's a skill that you've got to learn at some point. So kind of, like, just try to bury your head in the sand and kind of hope that nothing's going to change isn't very helpful because you need to kind of keep a you need to be able to adapt because often there is a solution. If you can't do something in a, in a certain way, then there's another way to do it. Yeah, and it just a lot of it is that it just uh, people ask you just it just takes us longer to to do it, but it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that we can't do it. And a lot I I say a lot it makes it harder, but it doesn't make it impossible. And that and that's the uh, that's that's the thing. It might be harder, but you you got to you know. It's like you get given you get given the cards and you have to play your best hand with it and that sort of like life you just have to yeah the other question like because obviously um there's quite a few guys that run par founders that are obviously get uh getting on with douche and I just wanted to ask you obviously you're not a medical expert but I sort of wanted to get to the bottom of why you think people nowadays with much dystrophy live longer I wanted to see what you sort of think why why that's the case yeah sure I think it's a combination of things. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we do still have to recognise that not everyone um, does live longer, unfortunately. Some people yeah. kind of um, still pass away when they're young, if they, if they get sick. It is certainly possible to live a lot longer than it used to be. I think, um, you know, a big part of that is really the ventilators. And I think, uh, you know, when, when the kind of medical profession thought about using ventilators to help people with muscular dystrophy, um, based on kind of like, what they've done with people with polio and, and conditions like that, they thought actually thought actually let's prolong out the muscular dystrophy. And they did, once they did that, that really made a big difference. Because I think it's uh, you know it was as people were getting in their late teens, early twenties, not breathing properly, and then they would kind of get sick and uh, not be able to kind of get better basically. Um, so the ventilators and things like the cough cysts, so that you can if you do get unwell and actually cough um, with that, a machine that helps you to cough and that means you can clear the, uh, the kind of phlegm on your chest and actually can get healthy again. Um, that's really important. Um, also treatments for like um, like heart conditions as well that are associated with Duchenne. So uh, for like the medication that you can take for the heart problems that kind of keep you going longer really. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a combination of all of that. And, uh, Obviously, uh, just kind of better, better care, um, more knowledge about how it affects people, really. Yeah, uh, and it's especially I found a place that is really instrumental in that for personal views. Obviously, I've seen you around in um, Lane Fox before, and that I believe that does, you know, that does some very uh, good work. And without uh, without Lane Fox, there probably would be, yeah, people wouldn't live as long. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's been some there's been some key people that have actually thought about um, kind of muscular dystrophy and how it can be managed. And 
uh, you know, it's like there, there's a lot of work going on at the moment to find like treatments and cure, but this is just kind of thinking about based on what we've got currently, how can we help people um, and how, how can we, you know, help people to live longer, really. Um, and I think that's what made the difference to those people thinking in that way. So I think uh, I, I think that says quite a lot as well. It's about, uh, you know, not giving up and not kind of just accepting Duchamp for what it is and actually, you know, challenging it and fighting it and kind of doing whatever you can to keep yourself healthy for longer, really. I yeah. That's really important. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a... Um with any parasitic condition it's about just slowing it slowing it down as much as you can and make sure the effects as you get older aren't um as big yeah, yeah do uh do any more the government in terms of support yeah um i mean i think the answer is always always that they could do more um i think you know we've come a long way in terms of kind of access uh for disabled people but i think there's still there's still a long way to go, and I think in some ways, you know, we've gone backwards, really. Uh, things like, you know, making it harder to uh, to get benefits, so, uh, you know, other kind of help schemes. Generally, the government has, over the last kind of decade or so, made it a lot harder to get support, and particularly uh, if you look at things like, like social care, there's so much more that we could be doing to actually help people, and, you know, I think it would benefit everyone. Uh, you know, it, it would cost money, but it would also save money in other areas. And I think, um, you know, it would improve people's health and general well-being if there was more, uh, more in place, really, to care for people. And I think, uh, you know, the, the recent situation has shown us kind of that we're often lowest on the priority. Yeah, because that, that, that was the thing I was going to... That's the thing I was going to ask you, because I've seen those reports and a lot of people with disabled community have brought it up that... If you've got martial dystrophy, you if you had COVID, you wouldn't, or if, even if you just had an illness g- generally, that you wouldn't be um, prioritised. I sort of ask you if you think that's right because I personally don't don't think it it's right. Yeah, we uh, you know there's a lot more care involved, but at the end of the day, a life's a life, and it doesn't matter you know if they've got a disability or not. To be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... I think it was expected there was going to be a lot more kind of cases of coronavirus and kind of it was going to be a case of scarce resources and you have to kind of decide who lives or dies. But yeah, I think um, the idea of like not treating people whose health kind of makes them more vulnerable and kind of less likely to recover, I think, you know, that we, we shouldn't do that as a, as a society. I think it's morally wrong to, to do that. And I think, you know, that, that shouldn't have even been discussed and, and thought about really um i think we know that you know people in, in care homes as well haven't often got the support they need and they haven't been kind of like admitted to hospital and i think we're going to see the kind of end of all this just how many people have kind of died of, of what might be preventable and i think um, you know just having that mentality that maybe like some people aren't worth saving or kind of it's too much uh you know it'll take too much resources to save certain people i think just making people think like that is really dangerous and i think it's like i don't know it takes us takes us down the wrong path i think as a society uh, so yeah I, I i think it's wrong and I, it shouldn't have been even uh, even thought about you know the, it should have been about okay you know we need to save everyone what resources do we need how do we make sure we've got that really rather than starting with oh we haven't got enough resources who can be sacrificed because uh, 
yeah, I don't know. It made me very angry, I think, at the time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't... It worries me how many people might not have got, a, got the care that they needed during this time because of those discussions. Uh, but I think that's something that we'll, we'll only find out kind of later on, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I must admit, when I saw articles about it, people did bring it out. So it did did slight, it did annoy, annoy me. I'm not going to, um, you know, say it didn't. It did. As you say, I think it's it's right because what's to say once this is over, that doesn't set a precedency for that just being the norm, that people with uh, medical conditions are just, we're well, not left to the side, but uh, they prioritise other, you know, people. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think it's not just about what happens now or what, what this, uh, you know, what, what, what happens during the pandemic is about now. What does this mean? our society if we're saying some people are worth more than others yeah because you're sort of it's setting up that behavior pattern and what's to say that you know it doesn't uh doesn't uh stop if you don't mind me um asking i saw a couple of weeks ago uh, you'd sort of tell if you don't mind telling the story about um so a couple of weeks on facebook that it was an incident with your uh car which did uh did not seem present at the time. Do you mind t- talking oh, yeah. somewhat about that? If you uh, don't yeah, mind. sure. Um, so, you asked about the car, yeah? Cause the yeah. Question, sorry, it just broke up a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, my, my car was um, unfortunately crashed into while I was parked outside. Um, I haven't used it for weeks because I've been in lockdown. And, uh, yeah, just someone came speeding around the corner on our, uh, our like, housing uh block and they basically just crashed into my car and then uh and then drove off without stopping um so yeah it's been a bit of a nightmare trying to trying to sort that out and uh get that claim on the insurance and uh, report the report the incident and it's just really it's a big deal for me because it's not as easy as just kind of it's kind of like dispatching any old kind of courtesy car um you know i need uh, a real successfully. I don't need to go out right now, but um, I will do eventually, and it's going to take a long time to get this um, this car sorted. So um, my car's now write off. So looks like I'm going to be in a long uh, kind of battle to get money back for the insurance and to get a new car. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, as you know, it's not the, not the easiest thing to find the right car for you, and uh, you know you've got to think about. Uh, different things as well. Um, it, I'm lucky that you know we do have a motorability plan, so um, I wasn't actually on motorability, but I will be now uh, to replace the car. I'm probably going to go on it, but I have to wait because it's um, currently closed to new applicants uh, because of the um, the pandemic. As, as that reopens, I'll try and get my get my car back. But it, it just it's it's horrible because it's kind of like a you know just a thoughtless act. Like careless driving and, uh, yeah and it's the fact that it's the fact it's the fact that uh no no one uh the person who did it didn't even like knock on the door or leave even a note for yeah. de- details they just drove off and just uh left it like that you know it's not a uh, which is crazy really because you know we got the number plate and you know we're able to follow it up and just uh see you know i don't know why they why they just didn't stop but um yeah but that's just how some people act, I suppose, with a crisis to run away from it. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing I always find with my, because I'm on motorbikes, I've got it. 
I always find it amazing uh, incident when I went down to my local park, which is quite empty, uh, and I went down there just to get out because that's the thing. I argue that that's my form of exercise because people, you know, they say you're allowed out for exercise. So I say that's my form of exercise. But it, we, we got back and someone parked behind us and it's it's just, an, you know, the naivety of people because we actually have a stick on the back of our car that says leave three metres for the uh, ramp. But, you know, people just either caught up in their own life, you know, they just think about things. As you, as you say, getting around for us, it's hard. So when you've got a vehicle that you can get into, when it's taken away from you then, you know, yeah. takes your sense of freedom away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, particularly... You know, I, I do tend to use public transport, but I can't at the moment. So um, I, I have no means of, of getting around now, which is, uh, yeah, very frustrating. It's going to take a little time to sort. See, that's, uh, I was going to sort of ask, because at this podcast, quite a lot of people that had to listen to it are my friends that um, aren't disabled. I just wanted to, you to give people sort of a sense of, because uh, people get under the illusion that disabled people have a lot of free time on their hands. But obviously, that isn't always the case, you know, that busy directing the care I sort of just wanted you to because I believe I bumped into you three years ago when I was at Valence and you did a, a talk at my school and you sort of did a video on how like at night your routine is quite you know you have to be tossed and turned quite quite a bit I just wanted you to sort of get in to tell people sort of how busy and hectic it can be you know directing your care and and that sort of stuff oh yeah definitely no I think uh, there is extra burdens that we we have in terms of organizing our life when, uh, when, when we have these and kind of extra challenges that we face um, I think like you know obviously it takes uh, a, a lot of time with kind of getting up and kind of uh, you know getting dressed and getting into a, a, a wheelchair and managing all the equipment with the hoists and what have you and kind of making sure you're doing that in a safe with your care and areas and I think um, yeah overnight uh, yeah as you need kind of like repositioning and moving uh, to get uncomfortable to, to try and prevent pressure sores. So, uh, it's a lot of uh, kind of intervention that I need uh, from my from my personal assistant. So, I think while you're doing all that, you're also just trying to like live your life as well. So, um, you know, whatever you're you're involved in, whether it's kind of like making a podcast or you know, all my work in. in um, so like running the the charity, there's a lot of um, work that kind of gets into goes into that in terms of trying to organise events and kind of develop resources for people to use and kind of uh, you know just uh, providing that kind of peer support um, and talking to, to other people. There's all that kind of stuff that you want to do on top of your kind of what you need to live your life. So all that stuff around. Uh, managing your your care is on top of everything else that you're trying to achieve, and I think uh, it certainly takes a lot of your time. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy as well involved with being disabled, and uh, you know lots of forms that you got to fill in, and uh, you know uh, the things that you've got to manage about you know cars and uh, care funding and care assessments and benefits and all this uh, all this kind of stuff, all the equipment to do with like your wheelchair and your, uh, your hoists and your, and your bed that you, you need. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of things that you've got to do just to manage everything, really. Um, and for me, I employ my own uh, personal assistant, so that takes a lot of time to, to organise that, to you know organise all the things about being an employer with paying people or 
managing tax and that a, a, a BA uh, decides to move on and you've got to do all the recruitment and kind of interviewing it's it's an awful lot of work that kind of goes into that really I think I think it's a part-time job being a kind of disabled person and having to directly care on top of whatever else it is you want to achieve so I think that's why it's it makes it hard to have anything like a full-time job or uh, anything like that and even if you've got a kind of part-time job it kind of means that you haven't got much time for anything else because you know you've got your your job and you've got your managing your your care and there's not much room for for anything else so I think it it can be quite challenging for people and I think uh, that's why some people uh, you know they're they're not able to go out the stuff they have to deal with really yeah because there's a Definitely, for my friends, they think because I got a lot of time on my hands, they think it's it's free time. But as you say, there's a lot more goes into it than yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's good, uh, and I think it's you know it, it's good to get that that kind of message out there, and it's good to have something else that you could you know that you can focus on and that um, keep you you kind of occupied. But but yeah. It is on top of everything else that you have to do, so I think it's uh, it's it's good to see move on and find time to to do other stuff as well. So if your life was only about managing your disability and managing your your care, you know, it gets a bit bit dull. And if it's yeah, it, it's good to have something else really. That's uh, sort of I wanted to ask is how did the uh, how did you and your uh, and the other guys go about? setting up the uh the pathfinders i sort of wanted to know a bit about that how it sort of started oh uh, yeah sure so it started up as a uh well a project run by actually which is a, a subject where running a project for young people living with duchenne uh called taking charge and that basically was about uh, getting people to think about what they wanted from uh, their future uh, thinking about what they wanted to achieve and helping people to set goals for how, how to do that and giving advice and uh, information on what people could do and I think a, uh, a big part of that was hearing from kind of older adults with you certainly about what they'd been through and uh, what they were doing doing and what was involved um, and I was involved in kind of uh, helping with with that side of things so uh, I think after that project we saw that there was a big need for uh, for this kind of like peer support this kind of these examples of what could be done with Duchenne to, to, to get out there really so we decided uh, because the actual Duchenne project was coming to an end we decided to set up our own charity to kind of take that forward afterwards and to make sure that, sure that uh, we still had a way of uh, like helping young people to think about their their future or what they wanted. So yeah, it, it's quite a uh, straightforward process really of registering with the with the charity commission and do they set up a bank account and then uh, raising a bit of money to get us uh, started. And to start with, it was all it was all voluntary, um, just giving up our own time to to try and make make a difference. But now we uh, have managed to get funding and employ some people to actually work on this. Um, like permanently, so that's made uh, a big difference to the number of people that we can support and uh, has allowed us to, to run events and stuff. Um, it's obviously, you know, we've had to rethink how we do all that, but we're still 
you know, we do a lot of helping people online. So it's, uh, we're still able to do all that. And I think it's been a, it's been a long journey. It's been some hard work to get where we are, but I think it's, uh, it's definitely been worth it in terms of being able to help people. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I follow it and it's definitely, you know, some of the advice on this definitely, um, definitely helped, helped me personally. And I think you're, you guys uh, who've set it up and that are doing a really good uh, job. And you know that's that's part of what online, you know, the online community should be is having it. You know, area where you can ask questions, or if you're not sure about a certain thing, you know, you can uh, check out. So yeah, I think it's a it's it's a good job you you guys are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of us doing it. We're hearing that people kind of get in contact with us. And- you know, let us know what they're doing, what they're up to, and also if they've got any questions that they need help with. So, you know, we're always we're, we're always here as a kind of group that, um, you know, it's not just any, any one of us uh, that, that makes the organisation. It's all of us. It's the it's the whole community. So I think when people get in contact with us, that's, it's really good that, you know, we can bring new people into the organisation. Yeah, most definitely. The other thing I wanted to sort of touch on was... Um, Talk about like sort of what you sort of the transition between sort of be sort of teenager and turning into like you know early adult. Okay, so so you was there anything specific or was just like what it was like to go from teenager to adult? Yeah, sort of the, the transition that took place and how you felt about different things at certain times and that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, I think when I was younger, I didn't want to. I didn't want, want to think about too, too much. I didn't want it to kind of define me, really. Um, I kind of actually achieve what I could do, um, kind of despite it, uh, really. So, you know, my brother went to the uh, university. He was involved in the and he doesn't have a, uh, he doesn't have a disability. Uh, yeah, I'd like to do that too. So, uh, you know, I, I just kind of researched about going to university and uh, understanding how I could do it and meet my needs. So I think my, um, at, the, at the time, my mum was really helpful in, uh, you know, helping to get that set up and putting out the, the care that I needed so I could move away from home um, to, to, to live at university. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, having that support was was really important and um, um, yeah just going to go to university and then um, I, I completed a degree and then ended up staying and, and doing a master's um, you know I, I really enjoyed university because you got a chance to meet people and, and make friends and uh, you know, progress with my my education um, but I think just as I got older I started to need more um, need more help uh, with, with different things and uh, obviously my condition got worse um, so my health was affected and I started using a ventilator and then I did think it's been a kind of over the years I've been kind of adapting to, to, to what I needed and I think um, I learned to accept that as, as kind of part of who I was and uh, kind of you know try not to shy away from the, the dis- Disability, or or try and kind of avoid thinking about it, but recognise, you know, that's part of who I am, and uh, the disability has taught me kind of 
skills as far as I can help them to adapt and, you know, that seems to be a bit more resilient as a person and to be an understanding, uh, you know, of, 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 of other people and uh, kind of challenges they might be facing. And it means that, you know, I can, I can help people um, based on using my own experience listening and understanding to, to others and kind of, kind of giving them advice based on what I've learned and what I've heard from other people. So I think it's um, my, my view. I think it's with other people just life and kind of give it as best I can and ignore the, the disability and gradually I've learned that. The, the disability is part of me. It's not the only part of me, but it is a part and it's an important part and it, it has given me skills that, and, and allowed me to meet, meet, meet people that I wouldn't have otherwise been back. So, so I think, I, think I, I feel much more positive about who I am and my identity and um, the disabilities are an essential part of that. So I think it's been a, a, a long process for me to get there, but I feel a lot happier about my, my own identity as a result. Yeah, a sort of a follow-on question, sort of how transition gone from sort of um mid twenties to like late thirties. How's that sort of how's that sort of gone? Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I think I've been uh, you know, just focusing on developing what I what I wanted to achieve. So like my career and uh, the puzzle I'm involved with and uh, just pursuing those. Um so the kind of you know, I adapt to the the changes in my my uh, condition that I need to do, um, learn and to use new, new equipment. But I think the main big difference was moving from uh, using a ventilator at night to using kind of confident about how I look on the ventilator. Um, so, yeah, I, I've learned how to, to manage with that better. And I think now that's, now that's happened, uh, there hasn't been that many changes with, with Duchenne. It's, it's almost like because you've, you've lost so much ability, there's not much left to, to lose in terms of physical ability. So it's almost like it kind of, it kind of stabilizes a little bit. Um, and, yeah, you could just focus on kind of living your life, really. Definitely. I was sort of going to, because there's, there's many many parallels. Obviously, it's not exactly the same, but sort of what's going on with the Black Lives Matter, I can see some um, parallels with sort of racism and sort of sort of a discrimination at the minute. And you can, there's sort of a different things that you know, you know, people got people aren't as discriminated nowadays. But a bit like racism, it's it's still there. Sort of wanted to get what you thought about what's going on at the minute. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you. There's a lot of disability discrimination that is um, still present and still going on, and, and that's a, a, a fight that we're uh, kind of involved in. I think um, you know it's hard to it, it's hard to know what the what the similarities and differences are. I think uh, you know one thing that we can say is. You know, as disabled people, we are—we uh, do face a lot of challenges and a lot of barriers. And the best way to really tackle them is by listening to disabled people and understanding their 
their experience and changing society based on that, based on on what people need and what people identify as kind of like holding them back. And I, I think that's the same for the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. It's about listening to people. So it's about uh, listening to people with experience of, of dealing with racism in our society and understanding their perspective and uh, you know what they're going through and what they're facing and kind of you know taking the lead from the people actually affected by the issue in terms of figuring out how we can move forward as a society and how we could kind of address a lot of the underlying issues so you know it's uh, we definitely can't say that our experience is the same uh, there's some similarities i'm sure um, there's also some differences but i think the important thing is just about listening to the the people that are affected by it that's how you understand the issue really yeah it's, it's definitely education and through talking to people because there might be a certain behavior that someone that isn't disabled might do to a disabled person and until you sort of tell them they might sort of sometimes innocently um forget that they're doing it but by telling them why and how it is offensive or you know it's just sort of teaching yeah. them teaching them that and you know through learning and people yeah it, it definitely uh definitely helps talking about it to be honest exactly it's all it's all about us as you know uh, as as human beings of listening to each other and understanding uh, each other's perspectives and realizing that you know we we are all ignorant in our kind of a way of, of different things and things that we don't experience and i think uh you know recognizing that rather than thinking that we we all know everything uh, i think that's really important it's about humility it's about uh, you know just just realizing uh what we know and what we don't and listening and respecting each other really yeah it's it's definitely a crazy times at the minute with what's going on in a way in a way this sort of stuff needs to happen in a way to highlight um problems because you know it, it we think it's it's not there in society but it but it but it is it is there still yeah yeah definitely no i i, I think we're reaching a, a breaking point now this year has has been crazy and you know it's hard to wrap your head around everything that's happening and uh you know what we can do but i think that's everyone's feeling the same really everyone's feeling just a bit like overwhelmed by everything really um but hopefully, you know, we can start to move forward in a kind of positive way. Um, you know, we can listen to each other and we can learn from it and uh, just try and keep going and try and making things better, really. Yeah, definitely things are better, but as, there's always there's always room for growth, growth of things. You know, it's trying to minimise the effects of people either being discriminative or racism to, you know, to minimal as much. You know, it's, people could be naive. It's always going to be there, but it's about getting it. To, you know, keeping it as low, and you know, keeping people. Uh, you know, you know, not not everyone's the um, not everyone's the same. To be honest, so another thing I want to sort of touch on was um, obviously it's only your opinion, but do you think when things go back to law, do you think people are still going to be uh, wary, or do you think people are just going to go back to you know going back to living their normal lives? Um, or don't we really so i think there's kind of there's going to be a desire to to go back to how things work um whether whether that happens we'll have to see um i think uh, particularly you know those of us that have been shielding i think we're going to be very wary uh 
to go out and about again. But then if we're if we're lucky enough to to get a vaccine, that, you know, that makes a difference and makes us feel um, safe. Then I I think we'll want to go back to um, do they doing this doing the things that we used to do. Um, I I do hope that we kind of you know do learn and kind of change our behaviour in some ways. I mean certainly you know, in terms of how we kind of work and um, interact with people. I think, uh, you know, it's been really important to have, uh, like, online stuff, really, uh, you know, to be able to work from home, to uh, be able to, like, interact with, with friends uh, online. I, I think these have been quite uh, critical to how we've survived this situation. I think we, we can move forward and we can use those in our in our lives in future. Um so I hope it doesn't go back to just as things were. Uh, I think I hope we can kind of learn from uh, from this experience um, and respect each other a bit more and use the technology to improve our lives um, and not just go back to the daily grind. But I think it'll uh, it'll it'll go back to you know doing the things that we used to do because that's what people want. Yeah, definitely. There's one good story that's come out of it. I saw that. The other week that all the Twitter's employees were work, working um, from home. There's a, a person I follow on, on Instagram who's a, he's a basically a disabled guy that makes people aware of the struggles and things that uh, people with disabilities go through. And he was sort of bringing up that that sort of might be a, a big breakthrough for disabled people because uh, the whole of Twitter has been working from home sort of how that sort of opens the door to um disabled people because it proves that they can you know work work from home and you know if a big company like twitter's doing it you know why can't it you know become more of a universal thing people that are um you know terminally ill or got a medical condition yeah absolutely i I couldn't agree more i think uh you know that makes such a big difference um to to you know whether people can work or not, if they can, uh, you know, enable enable more homeworking, that just makes it like so much easier. And there's so many things that you we can, you know, achieve while working from home. Obviously, not not everyone can, but you know, most of us um, in kind of like office office work um, really could be doing that um, from home. I think that, that's such a big difference in terms of being able to to manage a job if, if you're disabled because I think uh, you know in terms of the jobs that I've had it's been a challenge when I've had jobs where I've had to commute um, every day to go into work it's, it's exhausting and uh, not something that you can keep up when you've got all the added stuff that we talked about in terms of having to manage care and uh, living as a disabled person so you know things like working from home just make things so much easier and accessible and I think there's a lot of people that you know would be able to work if they could work from home but if they can't then they're kind of excluded from the employment market really. Yeah which as we as we're saying uh you know health wise and job wise it needs to be as available to disabled people as it is people that haven't um got disabilities to be honest but like what we were talking about health earlier yeah. it, that it should be the same it shouldn't be different you know and the same and the same with jobs it uh it shouldn't it shouldn't be different the same you know opportunities should be there to be honest shouldn't be um yeah. shouldn't be any difference i was going to sort of touch on 
what um future sort of projects have you got in mind that you can tell us if you if you don't mind? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I, I guess we we've had to think a lot um, since the since the pandemic about how we could do things differently. So um, it's it's changed what our kind of plans are for the future. But I think um, I, I think what we are still committed to is working with kind of young people to help build their their skills and help them to kind of succeed uh, in, in the future. So um, at the moment, that's probably, um, you know, we're limited on what we can do, but it's probably about developing skills for people to, um, like, run online events um, and kind of, you know, do things like this, like, like recording a podcast or, um, you know, just helping people to identify what they can do, um, like, online and helping them to do that, um, helping them to... To build skills, so that's that's a big thing that we we want to kind of develop. Um, I think for me personally, um, I want to I, I want to think about bringing more people into DMD Pathfinders, getting more people involved, and thinking about like what does the next generation look like. So um, you know, we we founded, we created DMD Pathfinders, we proved that it can work and that it that it can help people. So I think the next step is to evolve. Um, pathfinders so it's not, it's not about me or any of that uh, any other individual that's involved in it it's about the whole community so it's about bringing people on board getting them to help out with the with the organization and actually take over and to become the leaders in the future um, so that that's something that we're we're working on um, and for me personally um, I want to kind of Get more into into writing and, and developing uh, kind of written materials. Maybe even if write a book at some point. So yeah, got those things to look forward to. But I, I think that's a, a little way off. It's going to take a bit of time to uh, to develop all that. But that's that's the direction we want to go in. Anyway, I think that's uh, what you said about writing. But I think that would uh, be 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 really good because it, it it would get it out. We're talking about getting it out there about what type of people you have to go through and that and it, sort of writing a book would do that it'd get it out to quite a few people and that yeah it's quite a admirable thing to want to do in the future to be honest yeah yeah no i, I think anything that can uh that can help people give some practical advice and uh, just kind of help people to see what can be achieved uh, it's, it's really important so that, that, that's why i'd like to 100% because uh it's sort of we sort of answered the question, but it's sort of going back to previous about sort of like like lifespan with uh people with muscular dystrophy, and sort of how it's changed because I can remember quite a striking story of when I was diagnosed when I was younger, and sort of what was said then. It was sort of said sort of late teens and sort of how in the last twenty years it sort it sort of had a very uh dramatic change obviously it's been circumstances where i have lost a few friends with what i've got you know that 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 has happened but i think as a whole generally it is it is um getting better i wonder if you sort of have a story similar to what to what i've just said there uh yeah certainly um i think uh you know when i was when i was younger when i was at um school there i knew quite a few people with duchenne um uh, I, I think this was this was just before it become kind of common practice for you know giving people ventilators um, as they 
got older, so I saw a lot of people pass away with the condition. Um, you know, it, it makes you think about that kind of lost potential and what could have been if, if the support had been there. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I, and I think that that probably did shape me. Um, you know, I was, I, I think I was always thinking about uh, like having a limited life expectancy and that limiting what I'd be able to achieve just because I didn't have the time uh, to do it. So I think I was always, as I was going through life, thinking about um, you know how much longer I might have left and what I might be able to achieve. It's kind of like just been hanging over me. But I, I, I think, you know, as I found out about people living into like 40s and even early like 50s, it suddenly changed my perspective and uh, made me think actually, you know, we might have a, a real future. And I, I think that that changed my perspective a lot and allowed me to talk and I think I developed myself as I want to uh, develop rather than uh, worrying about you know, how long I might have or, um, you know, what's coming next. So I think it, it has been, you know, I've grown, I think, and um, so I've thought about new, new things that I want to do as a result. I think my life has um, improved a lot, really, knowing that people can live longer and can be supported. Yeah, I, I, what you just said there is it's 100% um, how I feel and how it's changed me because I've had r- uh, two really good mates that have, unfortunately... And, uh, yeah, it definitely does shift your perspective, but it also, it helps in a way, because you're like, yeah, this can happen, but, but what can I do about it? I can, I just got to do, do what I want to do while I'm here, really, to be honest. And, you know, it, like, like yourself, it's, it has, I think, even a comfort that a lot more people are getting into the 40s, even 50s in some cases. And a sort of a thing, thing I've heard, heard a rumour, and I don't know if it's true or if you, you know, but supposedly the pl- the best place to live with Master Fish is supposedly Norway. I, d- I don't know if you've heard that or f- what's your sort of thing on that. Uh, I I don't know much about Norway actually and um, the the situation. I um I I think I might know someone who's in uh, in Norway. Um, I know uh, I know much more about Denmark um, and how people are supported and I and I think it's kind of similar in the Scandinavian uh, countries in terms of they, they do things like social care a lot better and I think uh, they support people a lot a lot more to actually live independently to, you know, move out into their own place to um you know, to find kind of work or, or other volunteering um opportunities and, and, and to be more kind of involved in the community i think certainly there is a lot um, more support in, in those countries um but i have i've been to um like denmark and sweden and i've um, seen that kind of in terms of access and physical access it's not always uh, that great so i think in some places like we're we're actually better over here in terms of being able to access buildings and uh, uh, and things like that. So I, I, I think some bits are better, um, definitely, and, and the support people get is better. But not, you know, not everything is better. I think we 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 are quite lucky in uh, in some respects to um, to have a lot of accessible infrastructure and uh, yeah, and, and some opportunities. Um, I think we can we can learn a lot from other countries though in in terms of making it even better. Yeah. Because by the sounds of it, it sounds like even though the healthcare is better there, not necessarily the 
the access is there and you sort you sort of got to take sort of both countries could learn from each other sort of taking aspects sort of like you know Scandinavian countries could take note of what better access we've got here but we could also in terms of the UK look at better look at what's better health wise yeah definitely and particularly social care and independent living um you know i think we're not doing as well as we could be in that regard so but I, I, it's never as easy as saying like this country's better than that country i think you know there's always plus and minus points so i think we could all learn from each yeah, other yeah de- definitely but right i think especially in the uk it ha- has got better and i've seen it with me me own eyes and thank uh, god it has but with a lot of things things get better over the ages you know yeah and I think a lot of the time it's only got better because people have fought for um, like for our rights and kind of tried to hold the government or organisations to account and actually make sure they are um, they are improving things. Um, and I think you know things like the you know initially the Disability Discrimination Act and now now that's become the Equality Act or part of the Equality Act. And I think you know that that's made a big difference in improving things and that only that only came about because people fought for the rights of disabled people so um you know, things things have improved a lot but they don't just happen like by themselves it's it's the result of lots of people's hard work and i think that um that tells us that we can't just like sit back and hope that everything's going to get better we've got to apply for it we've got to tell people um you know what what the issues are facing us and uh, how how that can be improved and we've got to push for improvements to happen. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, but it was quite late. I think it wasn't it 1960s when it was actually laws put in place for uh, uh, disabled people. Wasn't it? It was actually quite late in in that in in that regard. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was even later than that. I mean it was really. Like the movements of the the kind of nineteen seventies, uh, and well, in some areas maybe earlier, but in the nineteen uh, seventies certainly that's when you know really uh, pushes started to happen for for people to have rights. But it wasn't until nineteen ninety five that there was actually the Disability Discrimination Act. So uh, that that was you know the first. Uh, like real step towards actually tackling discrimination and uh you know it's uh it's been a long road and it has definitely improved but i think we've still got a long way to go and i think we still need to all uh play a part in improvements yeah so anything in life if you don't put effort or get out there and put your opinion across or you know do it, it 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 won't get done as you say people need to continue it because we really want to just we want to minimize people being discriminated to to you know to ultimate low you know it's 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 would be naive to say it completely go away yeah yeah exactly so i want to sort of get your thing on how you um got your own um flat and house and sort of the what steps you had to take to sort of get get your own place yeah sure so um we did a we did a, a workshop on this actually. We've got a still got on the Pathfinder's um, Facebook page. We've still got the, the link to that, and there's um, it's a lot of different options for how you can kind of go about like finding your own place. But it often takes a lot of time. Um, 
and if you're lucky enough to have someone who can help uh, with the money side of things, that really, really helps. So what I did, uh, I was lucky uh, that my brother was able to support me. Uh, and, you know, really privileged in that, I don't think. Uh, he, uh, he basically um, bought a place which he then rented to me, so I paid um, to rent to him as the landlord. Um, so we managed to, you know, find a, a flat that was uh, like a new build, so it was quite accessible. Um, and well, it wasn't entirely new build, but it had recently been uh, recently been built, so it was quite accessible. Uh, we had to adapt it and put a, um, a wet room in instead of a bath. Um, but other than that, I didn't really need to do much to it. Um, and yeah, uh, that, that's basically how I managed to kind of go about it. Um, and then after I uh, got married, that I actually decided we uh, we wanted to move. Um, so that I actually had to go a different different route route um, to doing it. So actually, what we did at that point was we shared ownership. So what uh, there's various uh, um, kind of development developments where there's like flats or houses being built and a certain percentage of those has to, has to be shared, shared ownership. Um, um, so basically what that means is you, you, you buy part of a uh, property and then you, you rent the rest but the rent is quite low um, so you end up getting a mortgage on part of it so I own like 30% of, of my plan, so I got a mortgage to pay for 30%, and I got a, uh, like, I rent the rest, um, so I was about to be able to afford it, but that was because I was working uh, for, for part of the time, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's only really an option that you could use if you're if you're working, uh, uh, but I do know there are organisations that can help, uh, like, if you're not working and you want to go down shared ownership, so it is a it is a possibility, but it's not what I use. So for me, um, like working was very important, and I managed to get a mortgage and do shared ownership. I mean, it completely depends as well on what, what area of the country that you live you live in and how expensive things are. Um, but yeah, that that's how I did it, um, and that's how I ended up kind of moving to to where I am. And what sort what sort of um, age did that happen? That Bobby asking. Um, that was yeah when I when I was thirty actually. So um, I went to I went to university when I was eighteen, and I stayed there, did a master's, a PhD. So I'd say living at university for like eight years, um, um, living away from away from home in university accommodation, um, and then I came back, lived with my parents for a few years, and then it was yeah until I was. Yeah, thirty. That I actually moved out into my own. Yeah, because that—that's that, the thing. I want to do long term, and I've. When you're disabled, it takes longer to find yourself property because first it's got to be accessible, and you know, a lot of people might not necessarily have the the money to do to do so. But as they get older, they sort of prefer to build the money up. It's certainly not easy um, to do it, and I think the. Um, there are a few options that you can use, um, but you know, ultimately, it's, if you're not working, it's hard. And, uh, 
you know, if you don't have um, like regularly coming in, it's harder. Um, but you know, there are there are options. So some people can manage to do it. Uh, I think you know, if you need to, uh, if you need to access what we can, it's important to kind of know that. Sorry for the sudden ending. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening.